Today is June 8th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am absolutely delighted to be here with you today, showing up and going up, growing and flowing. It is truly a blessing and an honor to share this sacred space with you each day. Now, let's talk about what we have going on today in Scripture. We're going to see in 1 Kings how God blesses Solomon with wisdom and prosperity. And then over in Acts, we're going to see how the early church dealt with some internal conflicts as well as external opposition. We'll see in Psalms how the psalmist celebrates God's restoration of his people. And in Proverbs, we're going to learn something fundamental about how we should approach our work and watch our mouths. We're also going to hear a famous story of how Solomon establishes maternity between two women who claim to be mother of the same child. Are y'all ready to dive into this word with me? Let's go get it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 through chapter 4, verse 34. Good News Translation Solomon loved the Lord and followed the instructions of his father David, but he also slaughtered animals and offered them as sacrifices on various altars. On one occasion, he went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices because that was where the most famous altar was. He had offered hundreds of burnt offerings there in the past. That night, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and asked him, What would you like me to give you? Solomon answered, You always showed great love for my father David, your servant, and he was good, loyal, and honest in his relation with you. And you have continued to show him your great and constant love by giving him a son who today rules in his place. O Lord God, you have let me succeed my father as king, even though I am very young and don't know how to rule. Here I am among the people you have chosen to be your own, a people who are so many that they cannot be counted. So give me the wisdom I need to rule your people with justice and to know the difference between good and evil. Otherwise, how would I ever be able to rule this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so he said to him, Because you have asked for the wisdom to rule justly, instead of long life for yourself or riches or the death of your enemies, I will do what you have asked. I will give you more wisdom and understanding than anyone has ever had before or will ever have again. I will also give you what you have not asked for. All your life you will have wealth and honor, more than that of any other king. And if you obey me and keep my laws and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Solomon woke up and realized that God had spoken to him in the dream. Then he went to Jerusalem and stood in front of the Lord's covenant box and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. After that, he gave a feast for all his officials. Solomon judges a difficult case. One day, two prostitutes came and presented themselves before King Solomon. One of them said, Your Majesty, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a baby boy at home while she was there. Two days after my child was born, she also gave birth to a baby boy. Only the two of us were there in the house. No one else was present. Then one night, she accidentally rolled over on her baby and smothered it. She got up during the night, took my son from my side while I was asleep, and carried him to her bed. Then she put the dead child in my bed. 
The next morning, when I woke up and was going to nurse my baby, I saw that it was dead. I looked at it more closely and saw that it was not my child. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. The first woman answered back, No, the dead child is yours and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. Then King Solomon said, Each of you claims that the living child is hers and that the dead child belongs to the other one. He sent for a sword, and when it was brought, he said, Cut the living child in two and give each woman half of it. The real mother, her heart full of love for her son, said to the king, Please, your majesty, don't kill the child. Give it to her. But the other woman said, Don't give it to either of us. Go on and cut it in two. Then Solomon said, Don't kill the child. Give it to the first woman. She is its real mother. When the people of Israel heard of Solomon's decision, they were all filled with deep respect for him because they knew then that God had given him the wisdom to settle disputes fairly. Solomon's Officials Solomon was king of all Israel, and these were his high officials, the priest Azariah, son of Zadok, the court secretaries, Elahoreph and Ahijah, sons of Shisha, in charge of the records, Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, commander of the army, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, priests, Zadok and Abiathar, chief of the district governors, Azariah, son of Nathan, royal advisor, the priest Zabud, son of Nathan, in charge of the palace servants, Ahishar, in charge of the forced labor, Adoniram, son of Abda. Solomon appointed 12 men as district governors in Israel. They were to provide food from their districts for the king and his household, each man being responsible for one month out of the year. The following are the names of these 12 officers and the districts they were in charge of. Ben-Hur, the hill country of Ephraim. Ben-Dekar, the cities of Makaz, Shelbem, Beth Shemesh, Elon, and Beth Hanan. Ben-Hesed, the cities of Arubath and Soko and all the territory of Hefer. Ben Abinadab, who was married to Solomon's daughter Tafath, the whole region of Dor. Bana, son of Ahilud, the cities of Tana, Megiddo, and all the region near Beth Shan, near the town of Zarathon, south of the town of Jezreel, as far as the city of Abel Mahola, and the city of Jachmium, Ben Geber the city of Ramoth in Gilead, and the villages in Gilead belonging to the clan of Jer, a descendant of Manasseh, and the region of Argob in Bashan, sixty large towns in all, fortified with walls and with bronze bars on the gates, Ahinadab, son of Idu, the district of Mahanaim, Ahimaz, who was married to Basemath, another of Solomon's daughters, the territory of Naphtali, Bana, son of Hushai, the region of Asher and the town of Bealoth. Jehoshaphat, son of Perua, the territory of Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah, the territory of Benjamin. Geber, son of Uri, the region of Gilead, which had been ruled by King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. Besides these twelve, there was one governor over the whole land. Solomon's Prosperous Reign 
The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon's kingdom included all the nations from the Euphrates River to Philistia and the Egyptian border. They paid him taxes and were subject to him all his life. The supplies Solomon needed each day were 150 bushels of fine flour and 300 bushels of meal, 10 stall-fed cattle, 20 pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and poultry. Solomon ruled over all the land west of the Euphrates River from Tipsa on the Euphrates as far west as the city of Gaza. All the kings west of the Euphrates were subject to him, and he was at peace with all the neighboring countries. As long as he lived, the people throughout Judah and Israel lived in safety, each family with its own grapevines and fig trees. Solomon had 40,000 stalls for his chariot horses and 12,000 cavalry horses. His 12 governors, each one in the month assigned to him, supplied the food King Solomon needed for himself and for all who ate in the palace. They always supplied everything needed. Each governor also supplied his share of barley and straw where it was needed for the chariot horses and the work animals. God gave Solomon unusual wisdom and insight, and knowledge too great to be measured. Solomon was wiser than the wise men of the East or the wise men of Egypt. He was the wisest of all men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame spread throughout all the neighboring countries. He composed 3,000 proverbs and more than a thousand songs. He spoke of trees and plants, from the Lebanon cedars to the hyssop that grows on walls. He talked about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Kings all over the world heard of his wisdom and sent people to listen to him. Acts 6, The Seven Helpers Sometime later, as the number of disciples kept growing, there was a quarrel between the Greek-speaking Jews and the native Jews. The Greek-speaking Jews claimed that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of funds. So the twelve apostles called the whole group of believers together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the preaching of God's word in order to handle finances. So then, friends, Choose seven among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will put them in charge of this matter. We ourselves, then, will give our full time to prayer and the work of preaching. The whole group was pleased with the apostles' proposal, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a Gentile from Antioch who had earlier been converted to Judaism. The group presented them to the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. And so the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem grew larger and larger, and a great number of priests accepted the faith. The Arrest of Stephen Stephen, a man richly blessed by God and full of power, performed great miracles and wonders among the people. But he was opposed by some men who were members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, which had Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria. 
They and other Jews from the provinces of Cilicia and Asia started arguing with Stephen. But the Spirit gave Stephen such wisdom that when he spoke, they could not refute him. So they bribed some men to say, We heard him speaking against Moses and against God. In this way, they stirred up the people, the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and took him before the council. Then they brought in some men to tell lies about him. This man, they said, is always talking against our sacred temple and the law of Moses. We heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will tear down the temple and change all the customs which have come down to us from Moses. All those sitting in the council fixed their eyes on Stephen and saw that his face looked like the face of an angel. Psalm 126, A Prayer for Deliverance When the Lord brought us back to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. How we laughed, how we sang for joy. Then the other nations said about us, the Lord did great things for them. Indeed, he did great things for us. How happy we were. Lord, make us prosperous again. Just as the rain brings water back to dry riverbeds, let those who wept as they planted their crops gather the harvest with joy. Those who wept as they went out carrying the seed will come back singing for joy as they bring in the harvest. Proverbs chapter 16 verses 26 and 27. A laborer's appetite makes him work harder because he wants to satisfy his hunger. Evil people look for ways to harm others. Even their words burn with evil. Okay, really quick. First, let's talk about Solomon. Well, I shouldn't say really quick. I don't know if this is going to be really quick. But let's talk about Solomon. He was the son of David and Bathsheba, and he had inherited the throne of Israel after David died. He had a great start as a king because he loved the Lord and he followed his commands. He also had a humble attitude when he asked God for wisdom to rule his people. He didn't ask for fancy chariots. He didn't ask for a bunch of money. He didn't ask for fame or a long life. And because he didn't ask for those things, he got it anyway. God was pleased with his request and granted him not only wisdom, but also wealth and honor beyond any other king. Solomon became famous for his wisdom and his achievements. He built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. He established peace and trade with his neighbors. He organized his administration and appointed officials. That was all those hard to read names we went over earlier. He was also a prolific writer responsible for many proverbs and songs. He spoke about various topics such as plants and animals and he was truly a remarkable man and life was good for Solomon. But there is also a dark side to Solomon's story and we have about a week before we get to it, but things are going to take a turn. Solomon's life illustrates this paradoxical phenomenon that we can see in many gifted individuals the coexistence of both wisdom and foolishness, of light and darkness, of virtue and vice. There's this, this concept called the shadow self, and it's been explored by many different cultures and religions. It's the part of us that we try to keep hidden from the world because it's a part of ourselves that 
we're not proud of, more accurately, that we're ashamed of. There's a famous psychologist, Carl Jung. If you've ever taken any college psychology classes, you've probably heard of him, but he talks about the shadow self as the hidden or unconscious aspect of our personality that contains all of our repressed or denied impulses, our repressed emotions, traits, desires, all of that, that we deem unacceptable or undesirable. This shadow self can be a source of creativity, vitality, and authenticity, but it can also be a source of destructiveness, of violence, and of evil. Now, according to Jung, the shadow self is not something that we can eliminate or ignore, but it's something that we have to acknowledge and integrate into our conscious self. Otherwise, it will manifest itself in negative ways, such as projection, repression, or compensation. Are y'all here for this psychology lesson? Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Projection is when we attribute our own shadow qualities to others, and then we judge them harshly for it. Repression is when we suppress our own shadow qualities and pretend like they don't exist. And then compensation is when we exaggerate our opposite qualities to cover up our shadow ones. Now, I don't have time to do a full treatment here, but it is definitely a compelling theory and it explains a lot of people's behavior. Including mine, I'm not judging, not judging anybody. (laughs) There is no explicit biblical evidence for the concept of the shadow self. This was his term that he coined in the 20th century. However, there are some biblical passages that could be interpreted as implying the existence of a shadow self, or at least recognition of the complexity and duality of human nature. For example, Psalm 139, 23, 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This Psalm expresses a desire for God to reveal and remove any hidden or unconscious sin or flaw in the psalmist's personality. Romans 7, 15, through verse 25, I think it is. And I'm not going to go through that whole passage of scripture there, but that's Paul's rap, as it were, where he talks about how he does not understand what he does for what he wants to do, he doesn't do, and what he hates, he does do. And if he does not do what he wants to do, then he agrees that the laws, it's just a whole bunch of, yes, y'all know what I'm talking about. So, but this, this passage It's describing the inner conflict and struggle between the spiritual and carnal aspects of human nature, which could be seen as analogous to the conscious and shadow selves. And then the last example I'll give is Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. This passage is encouraging believers to renounce their old sinful nature and embrace their new identity in Christ, which could be seen as a process of integrating and transforming our shadow selves. So again, that's just that's just extra. That's just something to chew on. Back to Solomon, though. Wisdom is a gift from God. There can be a dark side to having wisdom, however, 
If that wisdom is not tempered with humility, love, and character, wisdom can become folly. Wisdom can become darkness if it is not illuminated with grace and truth. Wisdom can become vice if it is not guided by morality and justice. And it's not just wisdom. I am of the belief that all other gifts from God can have shadow sides as well. For example, charisma. Charismatic people have that magnetic charm and social influence, making them engaging and captivating to us. However, charisma can be used for manipulative purposes as people who have the ability to win the minds and hearts of others may exploit their influence or charm to deceive or persuade others for personal gain. Hello, Absalom. Creativity. Creativity is a valuable trait that empowers us to think outside the box, generate innovative ideas, and it allows us to express ourselves artistically. However, and I am raising my hand right now, creativity can also lead to overthinking, self-doubt, or a tendency to get lost in imagination, potentially hindering practicality or debilitating us into inaction. Leadership can have a shadow side of domination if it is used to control rather than guide. And I'll give you one more here, compassion. Compassion, of course, involves showing empathy, understanding, and kindness towards other people, which is generally regarded as a positive trait. However, when it's taken to an extreme, excessive compassion can lead to enabling behavior where people enable unhealthy or destructive behaviors in others, neglecting their own well-being. So the list goes on. I guess the big point I'm making is Solomon's life should challenge us to examine our own gifts and their shadow sides. It invites us to ask ourselves, how are we using our gifts for God's glory and others' good? How are we acknowledging and integrating those darker parts of ourselves into our conscious selves so we're not caught off guard? How are we avoiding projection, repression, and compensation? How are we seeking God's grace and guidance to overcome our weaknesses and temptation? Are we being accountable to others who can help us stay on track? Are we even aware of what the shadow side is in ourselves? I think when we answer these questions honestly, it can lead us to the answers of how we can avoid the paradox of Solomon's life and embrace the harmony of God's design for ours. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we gather before you humbled by these stories and teachings that we've encountered today. Lord, in reflecting on the life of Solomon, we are reminded of the complexities we face as your beloved children. Like Solomon, Lord, we have access to the gift of wisdom, but sometimes we can stumble or compromise our devotion to you. Teach us, O Lord, to seek your wisdom and not rely on our own, not for selfish gain, but to serve you and your purposes. Lord, May we be steadfast in our loyalty and our obedience, guarding our hearts from the allure of distractions and temptations that can lead us astray. Help us to recognize that all blessings flow from you and in gratitude may we use our talents and resources to bring about goodness in the world, in our families, in our relationships, in our communities. Lord, as we navigate 
our own trials and challenges, instilling us a wavering trust in your faithfulness. Lord, we praise you for your mighty works and for the mundane ones. Lord, we humbly bring our prayers before you, asking for continued restoration, liberation from any bondage. Lord, grant us the assurance that you will bring about beauty for our ashes in your timing. And like the songwriter said, you turn graves into gardens, bones into armies. You turn seas into highways, and you are the only one who can. Lord, there is nothing better than you, and we are grateful for the gift of your love, your presence, and your grace. Lord, may we always remember that you are the source of all goodness and that our lives are meant to be a reflection of your glory. Help us to be diligent and faithful in our work, using everything that you have given us to serve you and to serve others. May our words be filled with truth and love and our actions be guided by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for your continued protection as we go forth from this place. May your peace be with us and may your light shine upon us. Lord, we pray all of these things. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. And our affirmation for today, I accept my flaws, amplify my strengths, and aspire to improve. I accept my flaws, amplify my strengths, and aspire to improve. And our aphorism, our virtues and vices couple with one another and get children that resemble both their parents. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this epic adventure with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.